Thanks, Hugh. And uh, morning, church. Isn't there a wonderful sense of God's presence in, in this place today? I, I don't know, as I, as I was worshipping there, I could really feel that, that God is speaking to people. He's connecting with people, and, and his heart is to do that. Who, who here is ready for revival? Who here is ready for God to come and do whatever he wants to do? Not on our grid, not on our terms, on his terms. Who's ready for that? Who was here on Monday? Anyone and I'm sure a lot of you, all of you wanted to be here on Monday. Not everyone was able to be, of course, but a wonderful message from Dwayne, reinforcing everything that we've been hearing uh, in, in the opening months, opening weeks of this new year, and uh, about God wanting to do something extraordinary, something, something new and fresh uh, in this area that God has placed us in, in and through his people. And who knows, he wants you, every single one in this room today, to be part of that journey. He wants you to be part of his plan of redemption for Grimsby and Northeast Lincolnshire. Um, we, we've heard some wonderful teachings already on, uh, on, on prayer, because uh, God has called us to a season of prayer, hasn't he? As we've been hearing in the prophetic revelations that have already been uh, abundantly poured out for us. And who here knows that in Scripture it says, do not despise prophecy. We are not, we are not called to, 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 to push away what God is saying to us. He wants us to take hold of what he's saying to us. And he wants us to run with it. Whatever obstacles the enemy or the flesh or, or circumstances of life may throw our way. And, and who knows uh, that he wants you to be involved in that. Amen. And today I wanted to zone in. We've, we've heard a lot um, taught already on prayer, uh, some great messages, and I wanted to zone in on a particular aspect of prayer uh, that was already been alluded to, uh, and that is intercessory prayer. And my message today uh, is on the heart of intercessory prayer, standing in the gap, standing in the gap. Who here is ready to stand in the gap between God and creation, God and the people who God is uh, calling to be his people. And um, uh, first of all, I want straight away to go to the word of God because I've got a few things to get through here and I don't want to uh, dwell and uh, lose my time. So Exodus chapter 32 uh, verses 7 to 14, a stunning example from scripture of the heart of intercessory prayer, standing in the gap, someone standing in the gap between God and his people. But Moses, then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I have commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. Maybe the next slide, thank you. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you have brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. 
Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Um, This passage should boggle your mind. It absolutely messes with your mind. It causes us to begin to think about theology and, uh, you know, big questions like, does God change his mind? And, uh, you know, what's going on here? Is God schizophrenic? Does he in one moment want to kill people and the next, does he want to save them? It should create all kinds of questions as all Holy Spirit-inspired scripture does. And... um, uh, but, but I want to focus in. There's so much I could say about this passage. And um, in terms, let's, let's just address first the question, does God change his mind? Well, Scripture is very clear. God never changes his mind. He never cha- So that alone should tell us that that is not what is happening here, although it may look like it on the surface. So what is happening here? Let's get into it, shall we? Let's get into what exactly is happening here. Well, first of all, uh, something to notice that God would have been entirely justified in carrying out the threat uh, that he makes in this passage. Who knows that he is a holy God? He is glorious in holiness. He is the perfect judge. When his gavel falls, judgment must fall in a righteous way, not in in a corrupt way. And what the people of Israel were doing at the bottom of the mountain after God's amazing provision for them, after his amazing deliverance for them, um, would have completely justified God in acting in the way that he, th- he threatens to do so in this scripture. And who knows, we heard it before we took communion today. All have sinned and fall far short of the glory of God. Who, it's actually true that every one of us in this building here today would be absolutely have, could have no complaints if God was to destroy us and send us to hell right now. And that's a harsh thing to say, but it's the truth. All of us have sinned, and if we were to meet God in all his holiness and his majesty and his glory here today, we would be under no illusion that we deserve judgment. So was, is God taken by surprise by the sin of the people at the bottom of the mountain? Is God taken by surprise? And while he's justified in bringing judgment, um, is, it, is, is it true that he's kind of in one moment swinging from uh, bringing judgment on people and the next having mercy on them? I want to say to you today that no sin takes God by surprise. Jesus is called the lamb who was slain before, get this, before the foundation of the earth. Get that, before Adam and Eve were ever created, God knew what was going to happen. He knew that they were going to sin. He knew that sin was going to spread and take hold of uh, uh, the people across the face of the earth, down the generations. And he already had a plan of redemption in mind that he was going to enact at the right time. So the sin that happened at the bottom of the mountain did not take the Lord God Almighty by surprise. He wasn't up there going, oh no, what are they doing now? I can't believe this. I can't believe that they're doing those things. He knew before it ever happened what would happen. And your sin today, the sin that's been committed in your life and my life, um, did not take God by surprise. And yet he had a plan of redemption for you and me in mind before the foundation of the world, before you were ever created. Is that good news here today? God's heart has always been to have mercy. So what is going on here? I believe something stunning is going on in this passage. The Lord of heaven and earth is inviting a mere mortal, an imperfect man, Moses, who was very aware of his imperfection, to participate, to take part in his plan 
of redemption. Wow. And is that just for Moses? It's a good question, isn't it? It's not just for Moses. Is it just for holy people that God has called down the ages, like maybe the disciples of Jesus Christ? It's a good question, isn't it? John 15, verse 15. Jesus said to his disciples, You are my friends. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does, know, does not know his master's business. Does anyone know that, that verse of Scripture? Do you know that if you're a child of God today, you're also a friend of God? I think that's something that's stunning. You see, God had first spoken to Moses face to face. We're told a chapter after this passage that I just read out to you. These words. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. That verse would have been very well known to the disciples when Jesus stands in front of them uh, shortly before he goes to the cross, thousands of years later, and he says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Just before that, Philip had asked Jesus to show him the Father, and Jesus had essentially said, I am God. I am the representation of the Father in the form of the Son. Look at me to know what the Father is like. Look at me to know the Father. And then Jesus goes on to say, you are my friends. So was it just for Moses? Was it just for the disciples? Was it a privilege just for the first disciples? No. There's some wonderful scriptures that prove that beyond any doubt. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It's a passage I actually read out when I last preached here. You are a chosen nation. A royal, get this word, priesthood. A people belonging to God. And from that passage, I just want to zone in on that word priesthood. What was a priest? What was the function of a priest? Intercessory. Intercessory, intercessory prayer was a big part of what it was to be. The priest stood in the gap between God and his people. The priest uh, stood there and prayed that God would have mercy on the people, that God would not treat the people as their sins deserved, that God would pour out his mercy. Jesus is our great high priest, amen? He's our great high priest. He is actually ultimately the only mediator between God and man. Scripture says that. Because he's the only one whose blood has been shed for the redemption of the sins of the world. But something amazing is going on in Scripture. God is calling us today to be priests who help bring the mediation of Jesus' high priesthood to earth. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. Listen to this. We are co-workers with Christ. Isn't it amazing that the Lord of heaven and earth would want you to be part of his plan of redemption for Grimsby and Northeast Lincolnshire? I'm going to say that again. Isn't that amazing? We don't deserve it. If he were to treat us as our sins deserve right now, we would be off to hell right now. But instead, he wants you to be his friend, to speak with him as a man speaks to his friend, as God as a man speaks to his friend. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Say, I am God's workmanship. I am created to do good works, which Christ has prepared in advance for me to do. Wow. Who knows, intercessory prayer is a big part of what it is to do the works of God. Now, sometimes it's a ministry that's specifically given to an individual or to a group of people, and they're to flow in that ministry, and that is their lifelong mission in life even, that they are to devote themselves to that. But we are being called to a season of prayer, and I believe that we are all called to be intercessors as we call down heaven to earth, as we take hold of the promises of God for Grimsby and Northeast Lincolnshire, as we usher in revival, and as we see the works of the enemy destroyed. Who's, who here is up for that? Who's here is up to see that happen? So does Moses hear us as he heard Moses? As he heard his first disciples? Well, Hugh kind of mentioned it last week. If we are contrite of heart, yes. Jesus' blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness and makes us holy in God's sight, as, as Ephesians chapter 1 clearly states. Say, I am holy in God's sight because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. Wow. Not based on our own righteousness, but based on his righteousness that becomes our own by faith and by grace. Hallelujah. Because I want to build today here faith. And who knows that faith comes by the word of God and the word of God by hearing the Word of God. And as you hear the Word of God, as you speak it out, as you hear yourself speak it out, you begin to believe it. And faith begins to rise in your hearts. And you begin to believe that what the Word says about you is true. And you begin to believe that your prayers have power. The prayer of a righteous man is, is, is powerful to move mountains. Who believes that? To break strongholds. To bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And you are heard by the God of heaven as his friend when you pray his purposes into existence. Notice one of the things that God does, uh, that Moses does, should I say, uh, when he responds to God's threat to wipe out the nation of Israel, he points God towards his own promises. He says, remember your covenant, remember your promise to uh, deliver Israel and to make Israel a great nation. Moses is passionate about two things in, in that passage that I read out to you at the beginning. He's passionate, first of all, uh, for the name of God, the reputation of God. Did you notice that? He said, don't let the Egyptians have that chance to, to slander your name. Don't let them have that false slander upon your name to say that you brought them out with evil intent, the people of Israel out with evil intent to destroy them uh, on the mountains. Who knows that we need to have passion for God's name to be effective intercessors. Who knows that today? We need to have passion for God. Moses had encounter. He had a passion for God and for his name that was based on a place of genuine encounter. He knew God. He didn't just know about God. He knew him face to face. He knew him. 
Now, I know, strictly speaking, we can't see the face of God, but the the face-to-face reference is is, is a sense of intimacy, intimate connection. He had intimate connection with the God, the God who he knew as his own. And do you notice the second thing that Moses had? So I'm flicking between slides here. You're going to have to forgive me. He had a passion for God's, he had a passion for the people that God had created, who God had called to be his own. Despite their sin, Despite their awkward, who knows, Moses had been through some stuff with the people of Israel. He had, he had been tested to the limit. They had whinged and whined every step of the way. They had fa- failed to see God's provision every step of the way, failed to trust in God's ongoing provision every step of the way. And yet Moses still has that heart of passion to see God's people uh, be God's people, everything that they've been called to be. Who knows, we we need to have that. If we're going to be effective intercessors who cry out with a genuine heart that is heard by God, we need to have a passion for God and we need to have a passion for God's people. And those who who don't even know they're God's people yet in Grimsby and northeast Lincolnshire, those who are walking like the Israelites were walking at the bottom of the mountain in sin without any regard for God, without any regard for his holy name, we have to have a passion for them. Now, you might be sitting here and thinking today, oh, do you know what? I don't have that passion. I've got to be really honest. I don't have that passion. Or I don't fully have it. I don't have it the way Moses had it. Now, there's a, there's a passage of Scripture, some words of Scripture that have been spoken a few times from, from this uh, platform, a few times in the last few messages. And they are from James chapter 5. You have not because you ask not. And when you do ask, you ask with wrong motives. Who knows? that the best thing we can do if we feel that we lack passion for God that is based on encounter, if we feel that we lack passion for God's people and those who God is calling to be his people, the best thing we can do is ask and ask for the right motives because these are the motives that move the hearts of God. Second thing we need, another thing we need is persistence. I want to give a call to confident persistence based on faith in God's nature and in his promises. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. There was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, He will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Who here wants faith that moves the heart of God? Who here wants enduring faith? Whatever life throws at us, whatever things seem to come that seem to go against the promises that have given us and uh, for for this area, uh, that we stand in the gap and we continue to stand in the gap. We continue to believe God's promises. For, for Grimsby and North East Lincolnshire. Because I don't know about you, but there's a danger we can get disappointed. 
Church splits happen. God's people seem to uh, uh, dissipate or move away from God at times. Things uh, seem to come that seem to be the opposite of what God has promised. And yet God is calling us with clean hearts to come before him. Get rid of the unforgiveness. Get rid of the disappointment. And come with fresh faith every day that God is going to do what he has promised to do. That's what Moses did. Did God need reminding about his promises? I don't think he does. In fact, I know he doesn't. He knows what his promises are. But he loves it when his children come to him and and show that they have faith in his promises by bringing his promises before him every day, just like Moses did in our first passage here today. A little bit as we come to the last few minutes, um, I just want to speak about strategy. Now, Dwayne gave us a blank sheet of paper on Monday. I want God to come and do whatever he wants to do, and I want to be a vessel that's ready to receive that and minister that to others. Who hears up for that? But in terms of strategy for praying for this to happen, I think there are a few things we can take hold of. First of all, we need to get the passion that Moses had for God and for God's people. Secondly, we need to stand together and we need to know our enemy. We were reminded in one of the preachers recently, I think it was Richard, that there is a spiritual battle going on. Uh, When we pray, there is spiritual forces that are opposed to us. Who knows that? That stand against us and are doing all they can with all their might to stop God's promises from being manifested in this area in Grimsby and in the local area. But we need to stand together and we need to know that the enemy is, is doing that. Notice the first thing God says to Moses in our first passage that I read out to you today. The first thing God tells Moses is what's going on at the bottom of the mountain. He tells them what the enemy is up to, what the demons have done to corrupt God's people. We need revelation, brothers and sisters. Get praying about what strongholds need to come down in our local area. What things have been attacking uh, God's people and stopping God's promises from coming to fruition in our local area. And we need to stand together in that. We have a history in this town and area of many church splits, much resentment, much unforgiveness. That needs to go in Jesus' name. We need to come together as God's people. That wonderful passage in Ephesians chapter 6 about uh, uh, spiritual warfare, something that's often lost in that passage is, is, is not just, it, it's the corporate sense of that. We often take it as an individual thing that we have to do individually, uh, you know, take on the, put on the armor of God. Do you know what I'm talking about? And start fighting with the, the spiritual weapons, the sword of the spirit and so forth. And, uh, but we lose the corporate element of it. One of the things, the images that would have come to the people who read that scripture when it was first read out was the image of a Roman legion. Do you know how Roman legions worked? They worked, they came together with their shields and they stood shield to shield. Shields at the top, shields at the front, shields at the back, shields at the side, side to side, shields together. And they were feared because of that, because no weapon could penetrate. No weapon could get in. No weapon could destroy them. And that's, that's really the, the key that gave them the victory. Now, there is a personal responsibility to put on the armor of God. Don't hear me saying. Each of us is, a, you know, in a sense, a soldier of God, though we're much more with sons as, sons as well. Uh, we need to put on the armor, but we also need to stand side to side, just like Roman legions did. That's what gave them the victory. 
That's what stopped the enemy from getting in. Has anyone watched the Transformations uh, TV documentaries? Has anyone come across those? Magnificent stories of God transforming communities that were considered hopeless beyond transformation. Drugs, alcohol, all kinds of sin had taken over these communities. Poverty, that was mentioned earlier. It was when God's people came together. It was when God's people prayed together. The different churches in the town came together. It was when they recognized the strongholds that had been, uh, that that been corrupting those particular areas and preventing God's promises from coming that radical transformation broke out. Radical revival came. Are we ready to stand together? Get in groups. It's wonderful, uh, David here facilitates a, a meeting together of different churches that come together. I want to celebrate that and encourage that. You know, we need to realize uh, that we can't let the enemy win. We can't let the enemy get between the shields. And finally, are we ready for God to do fresh and extraordinary things? Dwayne talked about it on Monday. Do you know when revivals have come in the past... Great and extraordinary things that have happened that have not been on the grid of the people who those revivals came to. When Jesus, um, we're told at the end of John's gospel, Jesus did so many miracles in his three years of ministry that there wouldn't be enough books to contain them all, all the wonderful miracles that he did. But these are written that you may believe that he is the son of God. When Paul walked, he did extraordinary miracles, we are told. Now, all miracles are extraordinary, so these must have been extra, extra, extraordinary miracles. In more recent revivals, people have fallen out in the Holy Spirit. There's been gold teeth put in. There's been so many different things done, and all every time it's caused offense because it wasn't in the grid of the people who that revival came to. Are you ready for God to come on his terms and not on our terms? Now, yes, there's an enemy. Yes, we need to be aware of the supernatural kickback, that the enemy does supernatural things as well. Yes, we need to be aware of those things. But are we ready for God to do something new and fresh and extraordinary? As long as it's God, are we ready for him to do it? Well, as the worship team come back now, let's worship with that in mind. You are called to be an intercessor. You are called in this season to be part of God's plan of redemption for Grimsby and North East Lincolnshire. Are you ready for it? Amen.